0: Let's get it on. That should be the theme song for this week. Let's just get it on because this week is just pure insanity of an actual show. I mean, they acknowledge aliens and they gave you a big clue too. Can't say that they're coming from another place because we don't know if they're not coming from Earth or... or. Why not? Let's just throw that in. It's a fucking circus. So why not? Let's just add to it. Why not? Today we're going to talk about some things that um, maybe no one else is going to talk about, but it's important. And that's uh, international war crimes. For example, where do I start today? I mean, there is just so much to go over. And you're going to be like, what? No, no, it's a slow news day. We're not talking about the scripted show. I'm going to show you these other scripts, right? Because a lot of you were like, oh my gosh, you know, you talked about Burkina Faso and Niger and look at what's going on. Well, that's only part of it. See, because they didn't tell you the Burkina Faso part of it and the Mali part of it. They only talked about the Niger part of it because at the Niger part of it, the World Bank, the UN, everyone is losing their mind Because the guy they placed there is no longer in power, but they're all claiming he is. So, just so you understand, um, Niger is a country that is two-thirds desert. It ranks almost at the bottom of the UN's Human Development Index, okay? Which measures prosperity. It's at the bottom. Like, you know, they're at the top of the bottom list, okay? It has a population that is 22.4 million, and the average birth rate, get this, is seven kids per women. Now, Niger in itself is grappling with two jihadist campaigns, one in the Southwest, which came from Mali in 2015, that's Obama's doing, and the other one in the Southeast, involving jihadists from Northeastern Nigeria. This is where they're slaughtering Christians, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because that's what works in the North African continent. In Europe, we slaughter Muslims, right? And then in India, they slaughter Buddhists and Christians and or Muslims, you know, keeping that whole religious thing to keep everyone separate. Uh, But these actual conflicts that are going on in Niger have forced hundreds of thousands of people to leave their homes, and that has burdened the economies of the neighboring nations and and the nation itself. The country's military, uh, Niger, is actually not equipped at all. I think they have more stolen guns than they do actual guns. And it is getting get this. Niger has been trained and provided logistical support from the U.S. and France. And we and the French have bases in Niger. Okay. And we're going to talk about Niger and the river Niger and the yellow cake uranium and the weapons of mass destruction that didn't exist. So maybe people that aren't where you're at can listen to this and understand it better. They can understand what kind of leaders they have in office right now, both Republican and Democrat. In 2021, Niger became the central hub of France's anti-jihadist operations in the Sahel region, right? And that was following the reconfiguration of the mission after French forces withdrew from Mali and Burkina Faso due to the disagreements they've had with the ruling juntas in those countries. Now, just so you understand, um, the French in the North African sector and in the West African sector have a very big imprint. They used to colonize the majority of it. We have a base there, right, in Niger. But the French went in there, shit stirred, said, oh, you know, you need to stop this slaughtering Burkina Faso in Mali. You know, it's not good. And they were like, nah, man, you created it. Now we're going to have to deal with this. Get out. This is exactly what happened in Mali and Burkina Faso. In parallel, Burkina Faso, which is a neighboring country to Niger, Niger is also grappling with significant challenges. It has a surge in jihadist violence since 2015, again, thanks to Obama, which has displaced over a million people and created a severe humanitarian crisis. And this country has security forces and despite the international support, they've struggled to quell the violence. And Burkina Faso's economy, get this, is heavily reliant on gold and cotton. Experts, uh, now you see why we took over the country, changed the name because they added shit ton of gold, right? Right? You see it. And um, these conflicts have totally decimated the area. And while the political landscape there seems to be complex, the country is transitioning to what they want to call a democracy after decades of military rule. Not that the UN wants to take their gold, right? We're not gonna talk about that, right? Now, on other news, aside from that, we have seen that there is a very geostrategic importance of North Korea, particularly in the context of its relationships with Russia and China. Reminding you again how the US back in the day went to the Korean Peninsula with Stalin and Churchill And Roosevelt, Stalin, and Churchill took the Korean peninsula, cut it in half at the 45th degree, didn't even ask the Koreans, right? And then said the North goes to Russia and the South goes to the US. Remember that? Keep that in mind as you listen to the rest of the show today. So apparently we have more missile launches and posturing in Hanoi from Kim Jong-un. North Korea's recent missile launches following the arrival of a U.S. ballistic missile submarine in a South Korean port is to demonstrate its military capabilities and willingness to assert power. Right. We sent a submarine, a ballistic missile sub to South Korean port. That has not happened in over four, four decades. So North Korea started to flex. Pay attention. Four decades, no sub, suddenly imports port's up in South Korea. Now this is significant as it's escalating tensions in the region and it's potentially done to provoke a military response. Now, the defense of North Korea's missile launches by Russia and China at the UN all these years indicates a strategic alignment of interests. This could potentially strengthen North Korea's position and embolden its actions is it has the backing of two major global powers, right? And this alignment can also challenge US influence in the region and complicate, you know, the diplomatic efforts to curb North Korea's missile activities. Now, people need to understand that North Korea's support for Russia's war with Ukraine, including North Korea is providing military aid to Russia, Suggests a deepening relationship between the two countries. Don't forget, North Korea was owned by the by the Russians. Stalin took them when they split them up. So they do have a bit of history there. It's almost like Champei Valley of Mizoram in India. Yeah, but that's another story. Now this could have this this deepening relationship could have implications for the balance of power in the region and globally. Definitely so particularly if this leads to more of a military operation. Now, Kim Jong-un is characterized as an authoritarian ruler, right? And focuses highly on military capability. And don't forget, we had, what was it, a defector? Get out of jail in South Korea for doing something and then going to North Korea, which is really weird. And now they have him hostage and we have all this while we're bringing a missile, a ballistic missile sub to South Korea. You got to take the 40,000 foot view and say, ah, that's crazy. On the other hand, we are starting to see a rise in PMCs and quasi official military, uh, paramilitary forces. So a lot of people don't know much geography, but let's just say there is an, a far eastern Indian province of um, Mizoram, um, specifically in Champei Valley. They had this massive arrest for drugs today, which was key, and 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 I'll and I'll show you why. This country is like super tiny, like it's like a blip. It like doesn't exist yet for some reason. It's a uh, It's pretty massive. Now, the Assam Rifles, that's what they're called, is a paramilitary Indian group. They have their own, kind of like the way Russia has the Wagner group, the Chechens, right? You know, paramilitary kind of thing. I wanna show you this um, country. Let me pull up the feed and show you this country from drone footage. Cause it's quite fascinating to see this little place doing something pretty big and you're just like, wait, How is this making headline news? That's right, how is it making headline news? Let's go. So I have to say first, first of all, beautiful little town, right? Bordering Myanmar, right? Hmm. And now, you know, I'm sorry, I just can't, I can't. It just seems odd to see someone that looks extremely Chinese to say, you do not talk when I talk, I only talk when I talk. Because a bunch of the Indians there are, <laughs> are oriental, <laughs> Um, block so I find it, I'm sorry every time I'm watching it I'm laughing because they're speaking Indian but they don't look Indian at all and I, I still find that funny I, no matter how many times I've traveled especially by the Pakistani border where I'm watching a Pakistani speak fluent Chinese and I'm just like stop just stop stop so I find it hilarious but this is very alarming the Assam Rifles are a paramilitary group of India, and they have just gone to Manipur Police and taken over because the Indian government has decided that they are going to be working with them. And they have now joined forces together. That's fascinating. That is extremely fascinating because these are moves that are unexpected, especially from India with their pearls that they. They've strung across the Indian Ocean to now cooperate to a level where they have given them overall federal authority to the Awesome Rifles. It's like Putin telling the Chechens, hey, you're part of my military group. Now you will join forces with the rest of the Russian military. Well, this is exactly what China did. And then you have to ask yourself, why, 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 why not China, India, China, not yet. Damn it. Skip the head. That'll come next week. But take a look at the police yelling at this paramilitary group because they're pissed that their government just handed over control to these people.
1: Where, Where were you? Well, the
0: Now, what would lead to this? Why would the Indian government hand over? Well, let me tell you. The Assam Rifles, right, in Champai, that little town you saw, in a joint operation with the narcotics department, seized a quantity of, whoa, of almost, it was over half a million dollars worth of meth this Wednesday. Apparently there are a lot of drugs that are being smuggled. And you know, when you think of Indians, you don't think of meth. You think of them sitting there with an argyle, you know, smoking opium or weed, right? But during their operation, 94,940 meth tablets were recovered in the Mwalkawi area. And in another operation at that time, 87,720 meth tablets were recovered in the Kwangaling area. So that means the whole consignment of meth tablets that they collected were over half a billion. It was six hundred fifty-eight million. No, half a half a dollars worth of meth, and the illegal drugs that are being smuggled through Mizoram, that um, far off state in India, which is bordering Myanmar, you know, is causing severe issues. Um, and I also, just so you know, that the NIA, right, the National Investigation Agency in Myanmar, including a Myanmar national, they arrested people, get this, that had explosive arms and ammunition, um, of the, this May and June last year. And two of them were found in Champai, this little freaking town with like 10 people. And that's a lot of meth coming in and that's explosives coming in. And get this, huh? The seizure of the um, explosive showed that those weapons get where they're coming from. I want you to take a wild freaking guess. Apparently, they're coming from Ukraine. So, someone needs to ask themselves, what? why are people providing weapons allegedly to Ukraine, but then they are ending up in the hands of these weird people entering these little border towns of other countries like India and Burma with a ton of drugs as well. Why not get everyone messed up and hand them grenades and bombs? Sounds great, right? Sounds great. They're actually um uh, evacuating people from Mizoram, uh, which is that uh, side, you know, that border town, uh, border state, I would say, of India. It's pretty interesting. Considering that Macron is now going to Sri Lanka this weekend, it seems like they're trying to do in the Asian continent what they did on the European continent. And I think we need to take a cold, hard look at that. But for you to understand that, you have to understand why the U.S. government is now discussing that they're backing the ICC. So President Trump, if you remember, denounced the actions of the ICC. That's the International Criminal Court uh, because, uh, you know, they would be um, persecuting uh, the, uh, you know, the U.S. actions, which is true. War crimes. And I'm going to show you some of the Democrat, Clinton, Bush, and then Senator Biden crimes in Europe. You really need to see this. Remember how I told you we created China, right? What did we do? We let them die. And how do we do that? By setting an embargo on sending them weapons. We did the same thing with Yugoslavia. And I'm going to walk you through that because it's so horrific what happened. A lot of you are you know, more of the Kool-Aid. Yeah, we, we just don't care. You know, they're this religion. They look like that. There's a lot of people like that, but that's not the point. See, they weaponize ethnicities and religions all the time. And this was horrific. Now pay attention. Um, The U S policy towards the international criminal court right now has is a significant shift. Previously, our nation has imposed sanction on the ICC and is not party to the Rome Statute that was signed in 1998. That treaty, the Rome Statute, established the ICC. This was largely because there were concerns of the potential ICC jurisdiction over U.S. personnel, meaning we wouldn't have control over our own people if the ICC had jurisdiction, therefore violating our rights as a nation to prosecute, blah, blah, blah. Now, Senator Dick Durbin and Lindsey Graham yesterday and today suggest that the Biden administration is now supporting the ICC's investigation into the alleged abuses by Russian forces in Ukraine. This change in policy could be driven, of course, by a number of factors, such as cover their asses because Ukraine is coming out. And, uh, you know, even though they're posturing saying, we want to hold potential war crimes accountable. Well, when are you going to be held for your war crimes accountable? You can't just say, yeah, you can't, you can't do war crimes for us, just others, and we'll support you, but we're not playing your game. Stop. It's important to understand this represents a huge shift in the US's stance towards this specific ICC investigation. Now, while many will say it doesn't necessarily mean that the U.S. changed its overall position on the ICC or the Rome statute, it fucking does. Because the U.S. can't just have its cake and eat it. We can't just say, oh, I'll support that investigation, but you can't investigate us and uh, our personnel that commit war crimes. So the senators making those statements indicates a commitment to addressing the gaps in the U.S. law regarding crimes against humanity which should suggest a broader shift towards supporting international justice mechanisms. This is a big problem. This is a very big problem. In addition, recognition of the ICC by the United States or any country doesn't inherently forfeit, as they say, a nation's sovereignty. Sovereignty refers to the state's ability to govern itself and manage its own affairs. But the ICC is a court of last resort. This is what they're telling you, um, that only intervenes when national legal systems are unwilling or unable to prosecute serious crimes like genocide, crimes against humanity, and war crimes. So what does that mean in essence? It means that if in the U.S. you you can't prosecute people for war crimes, then the International Court of Crimes can do that for you. Now, here's a report by TRT, by the Turkish channel, talking about what is the ICC and is it fair? I mean, when you have dictators on the board and judging, I don't know how that is. But you should watch this and learn what this is, because Trump went really hard on them for a reason.
2: What is its role and is it truly international? Let's find out. The court began its work in 2003, but its treaty, the Rome Statute, was adopted in July 1998. More than 120 states are party to the Rome Statute, but that doesn't include the US, Russia, India, Israel, or China. Although this statute was negotiated within the United Nations, the ICC is not actually a part of the UN. It does, however, report annually to the UN General Assembly. It is also separate from other UN initiatives you may have heard of, such as the ICTY, or the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia, which was set up to deal with crimes committed during the Balkans' conflicts of the 1990s. Located at The Hague in the Netherlands, the ICC is not meant to be a substitute for national courts, but it can intervene when a state is unable or unwilling to investigate and prosecute accused criminals. The court aims to deal with the most serious crimes, genocide, war crimes, crimes against humanity, and the crime of aggression. Let's take a moment to define these terms. Genocide is when someone has the intent to destroy in part or in whole, a national, ethnic, racial, or religious group. This can be done through killing, causing serious bodily or mental harm, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group and forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. War crimes and
0: Hold on a second. We need to see this again. Let's just see this list. So killing members of a group. So that could be, you know, white people, black people, brown people. Could be Christians, right? Could be Muslims, could be Jews, right? Causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group, I don't know, like rounding them up and sticking them into concentration camps, right? That sounds atrocious, right? So genocide is a wide thing, eliminating bloodlines, right? What is it called? Ethnic cleansing, right? Or forcibly transferring children of the group to another group you know like the Ukrainian kids or parts whatever right or imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group you know the stuff that Bill Gates and Oprah Winfrey are doing down in Africa you know that stuff right
2: the group to another group war crimes include great- Brave breaches of the Geneva Conventions and other violations of the laws and customs of armed conflicts committed as part of a plan or policy or on a large scale. It includes murder, mutilation, torture, international attacks on civilians, sexual violence, and creating child soldiers. It even includes deliberate attacks on hospitals and houses of worship. And there are crimes against humanity, which are part of a widespread or systematic attack directed against any civilian population, including extermination, enslavement, forcible transfer of a population, forced sterilization, and apartheid. It occurs as persecution of an identifiable group on political, racial, national, ethnic, cultural, religious, or gender grounds. An example is Bosco Nittaganda, who was convicted by the ICC on 13 counts of war crimes and 5 counts of crimes against humanity in the Democratic Republic of Congo, including rape, murder, ethnic persecution, and deliberately targeting civilians. He's been sentenced to 30 years by the court, but is appealing the verdict. And then there's a crime of aggression. This happens when one state uses armed force to plan, initiate, or execute an act against the sovereignty of another state. So what has the ICC done so far? For a case to begin at the ICC, the office of the prosecutor must determine if there's enough evidence of crimes of sufficient gravity within the court's jurisdiction, if there are genuine national proceedings, and if opening an investigation would serve the interests of justice and the victims. The ICC does not prosecute anyone who was under the age of 18 at the time the crime was committed, only prosecutes individuals rather than states or governments, except for the crime of aggression, and the defendant is innocent until proven guilty. The defendant also has a right to information in a language that he or she fully understands. A case closed without a guilty verdict can be reopened if new evidence is presented. If a case falls outside the jurisdiction of the court, the Security Council needs to refer the case. At the moment, the court has nine preliminary examinations, 13 situations under investigation, 28 cases, and 14 defendants at large. The ICC has indicted or formally charged after conducting an investigation more than 40 people, convicted eight, and acquitted two. Individuals found guilty by the court include Jermaine Katanga of the DRC and Ahmed Al Mahdi of Mali. High-profile cases include Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta, ousted Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir, and Laurent and Simone Bagbo, the former president of the Ivory Coast, and his wife. Then there are defendants whose cases have been closed because of their deaths, like Libya's former leader Muammar Gaddafi, and high-ranking Lord's Resistance Army commander in Uganda, Raska Galakwia. The court does not have its own police or enforcement body, and has to rely on states to extradite those who are indicted. This can pose a problem, as in the case of Omar al-Bashir. He was charged in 2009 for crimes in Sudan's Darfur region while he was a sitting head of state. It wasn't until this February, 11 years later, that the nation's current rulers agreed to hand him over to the ICC. Had they not agreed to, he still would not face trial. And as of now, they still haven't extradited him anyway. There's also the Trust Fund for Victims that was created within the Rome statute to implement court-ordered reparations and provide support for victims and their families, but is not officially part of the court itself. It is interesting to note that 10 of the 13 situations under investigation are all from African countries. And all of the 28 cases at the court, some of them now closed, and the 14 defendants at large are from an African nation, even though international crimes happen across the globe. The African Union even suggested a mass withdrawal of member African states in 2017 over the disparity. There are now However, preliminary examinations underway for crimes committed in Colombia, Palestine, Ukraine, the Philippines, and for the UK's role in the latest Iraq war. And the three non-African situations under investigation concern Georgia, the Rohingya Muslims in Myanmar and Bangladesh, and the current war in Afghanistan. It's this war in Afghanistan and a look at the situation in Palestine that has upset the United States. In June, U.S. President Donald Trump signed an executive order imposing sanctions on several ICC officials.
3: As far as America is concerned, the ICC has no jurisdiction, no legitimacy, and no authority.
2: Secretary of State Mike Pompeo officially announced the sanctions on September 2 against two officials, including ICC Chief Prosecutor Fatou Bensouda, saying the court was using illegitimate attempts to subject Americans to its jurisdiction. The UN Secretary-General expressed concern and said that the UN will continue to closely follow the developments, and Bensouda's native country of Gambia has urged the U.S. to reverse the sanctions on her and her top aide. Washington's move comes in opposition to the ICC's ongoing investigations into crimes committed by U.S. forces in Afghanistan and the court's preliminary inquiry into Israeli crimes committed in the Palestinian territories. The ICC has called the U.S. sanctions unprecedented and being used as threats and coercive actions against it. The Trump administration has called the investigations illegitimate since the U.S. and Israel Israel have not ratified the Rome Statute, but the statute includes jurisdiction of crimes committed by non-parties on the territory of a state that is party to the statute, which include both Afghanistan and the Palestinian territories. The U.S. had signed the Rome Statute during Bill Clinton's presidency, though it wasn't ratified, but it was later revoked by George W. Bush. The ICC faces a elections in December for the court's next prosecutor and six new judges. Most of its attention has so far been in Africa, though it's starting to reach out to other regions. But there's still no mention of possible crimes in places like Yemen or Bahrain committed by rich Gulf monarchies. The UN has warned that Bahrain's arbitrary detentions may constitute crimes against humanity. And on September 11th of this year, a UN group of experts called on the Security Council to refer the situation in Yemen to the ICC. Is the ICC able to to do its job without bigger nations signing on? What other options are available?
0: Well, the other options that are available to us in the United States is, um, you know, creating legal avenues for us prosecute for wars against humanity, which would most likely mean uh, wars against humanity which constitute horrific crimes. So let's look at some of the crimes that have happened while you've been alive. Because, you know, we talk about genocide, but we don't like to see it. Let's go to Iraq first. Then we're going to hit Senator Biden.
4: Uh, I was around two, and... uh... Mr. Bush, when are you going to
5: apologize for the million Iraqis that are dead because you lied. You lied about weapons of mass destruction. You lied about connections to 9-11. You lied about Iraq being a threat. You sent me to Iraq. You sent me to Iraq Iraq. in 2003. My friends are dead. Joshua Castile. You you killed people. You lied. You lied about WMD. (laughs) A million Iraqis are dead because you lied! My friends are dead because you lied! You need to apologize! Apologize! You
6: need to apologize! 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 Are you with this gentleman?
7: No. What just happened?
5: Uh, I'm wondering if they're going to arrest me, but just happened? I just disrupted George Bush speaking. Um, they dragged me out. Uh, uh, i guess the cops were not after me so i, I guess they're not running, rest running but yeah yeah um well, uh, well what i did was i tried to read the names of friends of mine who uh, died after going to iraq and then uh died of um injuries they came home with um the names of iraqis who were killed by the u.s occupation in the nisora square massacre aditha those you saw in the collateral murder video um, I tried to read the names, but the event runner immediately grabbed the list and tore it up. Uh, but I was able to shut it down for a little while, right when Bush was getting into his first little cheesy story about um, his life and all that, trying to be funny. But uh, so hopefully I shook him and set a tone for the event. The crowd was very mad. Um, typical crowd you would expect for George W. Bush, but. They seem to not be expecting it at all, and um, here we are, so I tried not to give them a little moment of peace, because no one else gets it who is touched by the war.
0: Sorry, the video's volume is low. I take the threat
4: very seriously. I take the fact that he develops weapons of mass destruction very seriously. I remember the fact that he has invaded two countries before. I know for a fact that he's poisoned his own people. He doesn't believe in the worth of each individual. He doesn't believe in public dissent. I, I look forward to a, a dialogue. I will remind them that history has called us into action, that we love freedom, that we'll be deliberate, patient, and strong in the values that we adhere to, but we can't let the world's worst leaders blackmail, threaten, hold freedom-loving nations hostage with the world's worst weapons.
8: I think you can make the case, hypothetically, very theoretically, you can make the case that there are occasions that might require preemptive action. That's why I say, give us the facts, give us a far better appreciation of the circumstances involving Iraq, and that may be one of them. But uh, that case has not been made so far. Senator, Do you have sense yet of the Senate is leaning toward the House?
9: No. the
7: unrestricted approach or the administration's narrower?
4: Uh, to kill innocent life, uh, who would uh, who had relations with Zarqawi? Imagine what the world would be like with him in power. The idea is to try to help change the Middle East. Now look, I did, part of the reason we went into Iraq uh, was uh, the main reason we went into Iraq at the time was we thought he had weapons of mass destruction. It turns out he didn't, but he had the capacity to make weapons of mass destruction. But I also talked about the human suffering in Iraq. And I also talked the need to advance a freedom agenda. And so my question, my answer to your question is, is that imagine a world in which Saddam Hussein was there, stirring up even more trouble in a part of the world that uh, had so much resentment and so much hatred that, three, that, that people came and killed 3,000 of our citizens. You know, I, I've heard this theory about, you know, everything was just fine until we arrived. And, you know, kind of, the, the, you know, stir up. The hornet's nest theory. It just, it, just, it just doesn't hold water as far as I'm concerned. The terrorists attacked us and killed 3,000 of our citizens before we started the freedom agenda in the Middle East. They were. What did Iraq have to do with what? The attack on the World Trade Center. Nothing. Except for it's part of. And nobody's ever suggested in this administration that Saddam Hussein ordered the attack. Iraq was a uh... iraq the 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 lesson of september 11th is take threats before they fully materialize can nobody's ever suggested that the attacks of september the eleventh uh... were ordered by iraq i have suggested however that resentment and uh... the lack of hope uh, create the breeding grounds for terrorists who are willing to use suiciders to kill to achieve an objective i have made that case and w- one way to defeat that uh, Defeat resentment is with hope. And the best way to do hope is through a form of government.
0: Now, I said going. Wow, wow, wow. So let's think about it for a second. If the ICC is recognized, right? Let's just say. Since it's considered the last resort, which means it only steps in when national jurisdictions are unable to and unwilling to prosecute. If the United States were to recognize ICC, it would not automatically lead to specific prosecutions like the ICC investigates and tries individuals, not states, for international crimes of genocide, crimes against humanity and war crimes. The decision to investigate or prosecute is made by the ICC prosecutor based on the evidence available and the principles of the Rome Statute that the treaty uh, you know, the Rome Statute, which is the treaty that established the ICC, right? So in the case of, let's say, former President Bush in the Iraq War, it's important to note that the ICC does not have jurisdiction over the crime of aggression, which is planning, preparation, initiation, and execution of an act of using armed force by a state against sovereignty or territorial integrity or political independence of another state. Remember that. The ICC only gains jurisdiction over the crime of aggression in 2018. And even then, it only applies to states that have ratified the amendments related to the crime of aggression. Therefore, if the U.S. was to recognize ICC, you know, it's uncertain whether any action would be taken regarding the Iraq war. And any potential prosecution would depend on a variety of factors, including the specifics of the case, the evidence available, and the willingness and ability of the U.S. to prosecute at a national level you know, like tribunals or something. Because if we don't have those, then they allegedly would step in. Well, let me give you a survivor story. So while most of us in the 90s that are listening were kids or teens, there were some kids and teens that went through hell. And this hell was created by the United States. And it was actually the same playbook and sort of failed that they deployed when they divided the Korean Korean peninsula. And this is the destabilization of the Balkans. Pay attention. And this is how we got new nations like Macedonia and Serbia and Croatia and Bosnia when they used to be Yugoslavia. I want you to pay attention. For those of you that in the 90s didn't understand the crimes that were happening and now in retrospect, you're like, shit. We've seen this movie before. Take a listen. I'll
10: be standing here where the podium is. Mr. Groom will be next to me, and then Arthur will be sitting at the end. So, when I walk
6: in tomorrow, everyone is going to be here pretty Everybody much? Everybody will be here. Even yes. and defense, defense is will
10: be here, be here okay. and Milanich will already be in the courtroom. Okay. And he does have the two security guys okay. um, on each side of him. I mean, the big thing to remember when you come in is a deep breath.
6: Yes.
7: <laughs>
11: I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> Brings the memories back. The first witness that's testifying is an extraordinary young man, who was 14 at the time, Elvin in Passage. And it's a crime that occurred in 1992. And it mirrors the crime committed in Srebrenica in 1995. And we've decided to call him first because it really demonstrates the way Milotic. Approached war and his willingness to commit terrible crimes. That's the public gallery behind you. He will just tell, in his own words, what happened to him and his family. And my wife is going to be somewhere in the back room. Yes. Okay. Yes.
10: Yeah, she'll be back uh, right behind you.
11: Okay. What's your impression of his recollection?
10: Rock solid. Yes. Yes. My impression is he, when he goes back in time, he remembers it exactly as he.
11: Experienced it. He says he's nervous, but uh, he, he looks okay. He looks he looks the just appropriate level of nervousness that you expect, and I'm sure that'll be gone after the first few minutes in court.
10: I agree. I think as soon as he um, you know, sits down and starts talking, I think he'll be fine.
12: Rutko is facing 11 charges, including two counts of genocide, considered the most serious crime under international law. Peter, will we go? The prosecution must prove his intent to destroy in whole or in part the non-SERB population in Bosnia. The defense insists he's innocent and never participated in or ordered any
1: crimes.
13: This is case
1: IT0992T, the Prosecutor versus Ratko Mladic. Thank you, Madam Registrar. Mr. Go,
8: is the prosecution ready to make its opening statement? It is, Your Honor. Then you may proceed.
11: Your Honors, four days ago marked two decades since Ratko Mladic became the commander of the main staff of the Army of Republika Srpska the VRS. On that day, Mladic began his full participation in a criminal endeavor of ethnically cleansing much of Bosnia. The world watched in disbelief that in neighborhoods and villages within Europe, civilians who were targeted for no other reason than they were an ethnicity other than Serb. Their land their lives their dignity attacked in a coordinated and carefully planned manner the next time i address you about the evidence in this case will be at the end of the trial at that time when i come before you again i will ask that you give the people of bosnia what they have waited so long for the truth about what Ratko Mladic did to that beautiful and complex land. The truth about what Ratko Mladic did to Bosnia's people.
2: Is the prosecution
11: ready to call its first witness? Your of the prosecution is ready to call his first witness. Mr. Elvin and Passage. I solemnly declare
6: that I will speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth.
8: Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Passage. Please be seated. You will now first be examined by Miss Bible, who's counsel for the prosecution.
10: Thank you, Mr. President, Your honors. Good afternoon, Mr. Passage. Could you uh, tell us the size and ethnicity of your village?
6: My village Harvachani was 100% Muslim and approximately a hundred houses. I'm
10: drawing your attention to May of 1992, was there a, a religious occasion celebrated in your village?
6: Yes, we were celebrating our holiday by The first day we went to the mosque. I was excited as a being a little boy. On our second day, we were attacked bombs and uh, the shells start landing in our village. instructed to form three lines and to lay down in this puddle of mud and water. Um, I was laying down next my dad was on my left hand side and my uncle was on my right hand side. And as I was laying down they ordered us to all the women and children to get up. And at first I didn't want to get up because I was afraid to separate from my dad and he told me to get up. I told him, no, I don't want to go without you. He says, get up. I said, no. And my uncle insisted, he says, get up, you will survive. And some reliving and going back to this. I had a dream about my dad last night. For the first time, I was able to see his face. I'm glad because most of the dreams, nightmares that I have from the personal experience, I was always trying to reach him. I, I saw his face last night. I miss my dad. Let me find my dad. Please.
7: I
0: would like to find my dad. Well, many might not understand just how significant this was, but this is how they created Ukraine and how they destabilized it by putting weapons in That was done by Clinton. That was also promoted by all the Democrats. And then When they decided enough was enough because it was pretty bad, then they flipped it and said that, oh, you know, we need a Bosnia mission resolution. This was in order to gain control of them. First, they created the war. Then they funded the war. Then they funded the ethnic cleansing. And then they came in as heroes, right? But who got the highway in Serbia? That's right. It was Joe Biden. That's actually in Hunter Biden's pictures, the family picture in front of the highway in Serbia, while the Bosnians thought that they helped them. They were the actual ones that instigated it because they needed to destabilize Yugoslavia. That was a good representative as uh, a Slavic Balkan nation that was a melting pot. And they were actually successful. The Yugoslavs were successful. But in the 90s, they needed to destabilize it. After they dropped the USSR, they needed to destabilize the Balkans and get in. And so the Albanian and the Yugoslav Wars uh, based on religious conflict and ethnic cleansing happened. And there's like the short video about the worst war you've ever learned about or probably not learned about because we were busy with other shit, right? Monica Lewinsky, right? So let's just make a worse so no one looks. O.J. Simpson, we've got so much on the distractions. Here we go. It's
14: 1991 and the Soviet Union is fracturing. And down here, another communist party is failing. Yugoslavia, a federation of six countries, is ripping itself apart. Their economy is in ruin, and they're replacing communism with nationalism, the kind that thrives on focusing on ethnic and religious differences. By the end of 1991, Croatia, Slovenia, and Macedonia have all declared independence. Macedonia is allowed to leave peacefully, but Slovenia and Croatia fight wars to be independent from Yugoslavia. And then you have Serbia populated primarily by Christian Serbs, and they were not going to let Yugoslavia fully fall apart. Together with Montenegro, they attempt to become the successor state to Yugoslavia. After all, it was they who held the most power in Yugoslavia and who comprised the majority of the Yugoslav army. They didn't want independent states. They wanted to hold on to their majority, to their power. Another country in this crumbling federation was the Socialist Republic of Bosnia and Herzegovina, Almost half of this country were Bosnian Muslims, called Bosniaks, and about a third were Christian Serbs, similar to the Christian Serbs living up here but living in Bosnia. The other 17% were Croats. For a long time, these groups had lived side by side in relative peace. They had a common ideology, communism, the idea of Yugoslavia. But as all these new countries were being created, no one wanted to end up in a new nation controlled by the other side. So it's late 1991 and a largely Croat region declares itself an independent state from Bosnia. It wasn't recognized internationally. While some Croat leaders want to secede from the country entirely, they first agree to cooperate with the government of Bosnia and Herzegovina acting like a state within a state. The next year, Bosnia holds an independence vote, 63% of the population turns out, and the results are that 99% of the voters say yes, they want to be independent from Yugoslavia. These numbers imply that it was mostly Bosniaks that voted, with the Bosnian Serbs boycotting the vote, as most were against becoming a minority in a new Bosnia. So after the independence vote passed, the Bosnian Serbs declared their own state within the borders of Bosnia. It was called Republika Srpska. No one recognized this new self-declared country besides one, and it was the one that mattered. Serbia and Montenegro now had this leader, an important part of the story. His name was Slobodan Milosevic. He recognizes the new Serb state within Bosnia, and this marks the start of the Bosnian War. dive into this, I just need to tell you that uh, we don't have a sponsor for today because it's sort of hard to find sponsors for videos like this. Luckily, the subscribers over at Nebula help make these videos possible. We publish our videos there every week, a week early. So our next week's video about Antarctica, one of my favorite videos we've ever made ever, it's freaking beautiful, is up now on Nebula. You can go watch it. It's $2.50 a month and it helps support us making videos like this. I'll give more detail on that at the end of the video. For now, let's dive into this. Now, before we go on, we have to look back up here at Serbia, this leader, Milosevic. This guy was a hyper-nationalist. He made his career stirring up ethnic tensions between Serbs, Croats, and Bosniaks. So he's seen all of this as a good thing, as an opportunity to further his vision of creating a new, greater Serbian nation across the former Yugoslavia. And remember, Serbia is where the capital of the former Yugoslavia was. The Yugoslav army is dominated by Serbs So Milosevic is able to direct this professional army to launch an offensive to help the Serbians in Bosnia secure their new claimed territory. To fight back, the Bosniaks and Croats form an alliance to protect their own chances of independence. But Serbs have this large professional army on their side it's much more powerful, and it quickly surrounds the Bosnian capital city, positioning tanks, artillery, and snipers on the hills around the city, blocking roads and supply routes. Their goal is to take the capital as fast as possible and to end this war quickly. They start firing indiscriminately attacking civilian populations with tanks, artillery, and sniper fire, killing thousands in a siege that would last for years. And while this city was majority Bosniak, Croats and Serbs lived there too. But the Serbs pummeled it anyway. The UN quickly attempts to negotiate with Milosevic and Serb forces, and they reach a quick agreement to withdraw the Yugoslav army. But what really happens is the Yugoslav army just gives up control of around 100,000 Serb troops who mostly continue fighting for the Serbs in Bosnia. Yugoslav forces withdraw from Sarajevo as part of this agreement. The retreating forces are attacked by Bosniak troops. An unknown number of Yugoslav army personnel are killed. Bosniak commanders would later be charged with war crimes for this attack. As the war rages on, Serbs escalate the brutality all over the country, routinely identifying Bosniak homes, ransacking and burning them down, rounding up civilians, separating the men from the women, and sending the men to concentration camps or executing them. are sent to prisons where they suffer abuses and human rights violations that I'm not going to describe here for how atrocious they are. You can go to the sources for details. The point here is that what the Serbs are doing is starting to look like an ethnic cleansing of the land they claimed. Meanwhile, the international community is hesitant to get too involved beyond cutting off the Yugoslav economy with sanctions, and the UN sends food, medicine, and peacekeeping soldiers. They also cut off the flow of weapons from the outside. But the UN sticks to its peacekeeping principles not interfering in the conflict not so-,
0: so this is how they operate they allow it to happen they fund this side the Serbs were funded the US put an embargo on giving weapons to the Bosnians as they were being annihilated look how tiny it was and Sloban Milosevic like Hitler and like many others wanted to use every opportunity to get in. And so did the UN. They amplified him. They helped him. The US helped him to get it to a point where they would come in to make the dealings in how uh, they will separate these nations. And that's the thing. They created it and then they stopped it. That's how they operate.
14: Stopping the advance of the Serbs or the ongoing ethnic cleansing that has begun. But the situation in Bosnia is getting worse. The alliance between Bosniaks and Croats is falling apart. They start fighting each other. So now, Bosniak forces are fighting the Serbs on one side and their former allies, the Croats, on the other. A war within a war. As this new complicated stage of the conflict starts, Croat forces surround and begin an attack in the city of Mostar, a city that the two had once defended together back in 1992 against the Serbs. Croat forces capture large portions of the city. They blow up Bosniak mosques and murder Bosniak civilians in their wake. Things are getting bad and in response to these worsening conditions in Bosnia, the UN gets NATO forces to come to Bosnia to enforce a no-fly zone, basically committing them to shoot down any planes flying over the country. But this does nothing to stop the ethnic cleansing that continues to escalate on the ground. So the next year, the UN establishes safe zones across the country to protect civilians fleeing the war particularly Bosniaks, who are fleeing ethnic cleansing by the Serb armies. But the UN is only as powerful as its member nations are willing to let them be. And it turns out member nations are not willing to commit enough troops to actually fortify these safe zones. Serb forces regularly show up and attack the civilians in these safe zones. The United States, who's still trying to stay out of this war, helps negotiate peace between the Croats and the Bosniaks, thus ending the war within the war. They sign an agreement in March of 1994 Re establishing the Federal Republic of.
0: Wait a minute. Do you want to hear where they signed this treaty? Do you know where they signed this? I want you guys to take a wild guess. Where did these two nations come together to sign this agreement? Dayton, Ohio. So, Dayton, Ohio is where they came together and signed an agreement, a peace agreement under Clinton. Dayton, Ohio.
14: ...of Bosnia and Herzegovina. And most importantly, they renew their alliance to fight against the Serbs. Things slowly start to change in 1994, Bosnian Serbs decline a peace deal offered by the UN. In response, Milosevic, who's now feeling the consequences of being cut off from the global economy, now cuts ties with the Bosnian Serbs, refusing to send them more weapons and money. He wants to remain in power, controlling his new Yugoslavia, and hopes that cutting ties with the Bosnian Serbs who are doing all these terrible things will convince the West to begin trading with him again. So Milosevic's support is now gone, but even still, the Bosnian Serbs continue their campaign of horror committing atrocities all over the country but it's not just the Serbs Bosniaks, and
0: who was funding them take a wild guess on who was funding them that's right it was the United States hold on I've got a video for you guys to watch where there was an embargo debate by the US you know cuz history real history you know no one was really paying attention
1: here we go. It's not easy to override a veto. I think it's ridiculous for the Bosnian Serbs to point the finger at anybody in light of their callous, cruel, inhuman conduct there. I think it's just absurd for them to blame the United States. Uh, they're the ones who have escalated the fighting, they're the ones who have committed the atrocities, the ethnic cleansing, unparalleled in the past 50 years of human history.
11: Karadzic is a war criminal and he should be tried as a war criminal, and anything we can do in the West to help the Bosnian government preserve itself, uh, to fight war criminals like Karadzic is a good thing. What did you
7: discuss?
1: Well, we we discussed the arms uh, Uh embargo, and he was uh, very much uh, supportive of it. Well, they're apparently in the process of seizing everything in sight right now, and all we want to do is make certain that the uh, Bosnian Muslims are going to have the right to protect themselves and their property.
4: I don't know. And clearly, when this issue has risen before, they have not done so. But uh, there are indications. I think it's important that uh, NATO is pulling its act together and that at least there is some potential for defense of the enclaves, and for at least a, a possibility for people to reconsider whether they want to continue the war. I think that should be of greatest concern to everybody out
1: there. I think that the U.N. peacekeepers ought to be withdrawn because they have a mission impossible. There's no peace to keep. And once they're withdrawn, I think the arms embargo ought to be lifted, and the Bosnian Muslims ought to have a chance to defend themselves, and I think that there ought to be massive airstrikes by the United States. The atrocities uh, by the Bosnian Serbs are just unspeakable. Young women are hanging themselves rather than submit to the indignities from the Bosnian Serbs.
0: So basically Clinton had an embargo of giving weapons to Bosnia. The Democrats said no, right? They said, no, we're not giving them any weapons. You know, Even though they're being killed, we're just not gonna give it. Here's where the Senate rejected lifting the arms embargo. This is another one of those hearings that's just a show. And oh boy, we are so sad, but we're not gonna give them weapons, right? we're just going to perpetuate it because we need them to break. And this is what Milosevic realized that the Serbian Bosnians, right? The Bosnian Serbs that were doing the atrocities were actually mercenaries paid by the West. He was like, Oh crap. They got me because it's on the other side of Bosnia and I can't see. And they're funding them. And you know, they totally made me look like a dictator when all I wanted was to keep our gold and, keep Yugoslavia together because I saw it. So now he's turned into a criminal and been pretty much put together, right? Um, You know, as the guy that did it all when all he wanted was his country back because he saw that things were happening. So he thought he was smarter than them and that he would have loyalty of people to maintain. And then they went nuts and they were like, yep, ethnic cleansing, let's go. And he's like, wait a minute, uh, I didn't say that. And suddenly, boom, you know? And you know who was in the center of that sh- shit Joe? Dying Corps. But here's the Senate talking.
1: They have said, if allowing us to defend ourselves means that the UN peacekeepers
12: must leave, so be it. They have specifically said, please, thank you for your help, but let us defend ourselves.
11: If we now unilaterally lift this arms embargo, we give a green light to all of those who want to get out of the sanctions against Iraq, and the Turks have made it clear they will do so, the sanctions against Libya, the sanctions against Cuba, the sanctions against Haiti, and possibly the sanctions, if
1: needed, against North Korea. On this vote, the yeas are 52 and the nays are 48, and the non-amendment is agreed to. The yeas are 50, the nays are 50, the Dole Amendment is not agreed to. Without objection. Um, if uh,
7: If you ask me the
11: question, will the United States continue to work through the United Nations, the answer to that is yes, wherever we can.
1: But we must be in a position to act alone when our own vital interests are at stake.
0: Their own vital interests, that's it. So once it came to the point that Milosevic figured out, holy crap, they've just brought this on me. And they're working with cartels, <laughs> mercenaries. He was like, oh, we're going to get you now. And it's like, wait, but why, why didn't you do that in the beginning? But wars like this happen all the time. And it's important that we see them. So... Let's take a quick break, and I'll be right back. Keep in mind, wars and war crimes, you have a say. You're not the underdog. They are. a circus and please some more because we're not getting enough of it. Are we? We need more of a circus. More, 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 Give me more. Give me more. Right? That is all I see because just like in her song, she says there's the spectator and the entertainer Uh, spectator participant basically. And see, this is what people are not paying attention to that. This is all a joke in a show. Our borders, ah, this is where the flu, the new really big issue is coming in through. And we had Peter Doocy kind of just drop it, like it's hot. Pretty awesome too. We should take a look at that. I think he did a stellar, stellar job. Please listen to the response.
14: Thanks, Green. So, cartels kill Americans on this side of the border with drugs, and now they're killing Americans on the other side of the border with guns. Why is President Biden so comfortable with cartels operating so close to the U.S.?
15: Well, let's be very clear. Let me take on the drug part here, because since you brought this up, Because of the work that this president has done, because of what we've done specifically on fentanyl at the border, it's at historic lows, historic levels.
14: That's a lie. Uh,
15: That we have been able to uh, record a number of personnel working to secure the border because of what we've been able to do. Seizing that fentanyl, uh, we've done it in a historic way.
11: Stop it, get some help.
15: That's because of what this president has done. I just talked about 23,000 federal agents that have been able to be, uh, uh, that we've been able to hire and put at the border to secure the border.
5: That was the best acting I've ever seen in my whole life.
16: Several months ago, my office received a protected disclosure from Eglin Air Force Base, indicating that there was a UAP incident that required my attention. I sought a briefing regarding that episode and brought with me Congressman Burchett and Congresswoman Luna, uh, we asked to see any of the evidence that had been taken by flight crew in this endeavor and to observe any radar signature uh, as as well as to meet with the flight crew. We were not afforded access to all of the flight crew. And initially, we were not afforded access to images and to radar. Thereafter, we had a bit of a discussion about how authorities flow in the United States of America and we did see the image, and we did meet with one member of the flight crew who took the image. The image was of something that uh, I am not able to to attach to any human capability, either from the United States or from any of our adversaries, and I am somewhat informed on the matter, having served on the Armed Services Committee for seven years, having served on the committee that oversees DARPA and advanced technologies for several years. When we spoke with the flight crew, and when he showed us the photo that he'd taken, I asked why the video wasn't engaged, why we didn't have a FLIR system that worked, here's what he said. They were out on a test mission that day over the Gulf of Mexico, and when you're on a test mission, you're supposed to have clear airspace, not supposed to be anything that shows up. And they saw a sequence of four craft in a clear diamond formation for which there is Uh, a radar sequence that I and I alone have observed in the United States Congress. One of the pilots goes to check out that diamond formation and sees a large floating, what I can only describe as an orb, again, like I said, not of any human capability that that I'm aware of. And when he approached, he said that his radar went down, he said that his FLIR system malfunctioned, and that he had to manually take this image um, from one of the lenses, and it was not automatic, automated uh, in collection, as you would typically see in a test mission. So uh, I guess I'll start with Commander Fravor. In, how should we think about the fact that this craft that was approached by our pilot uh, had the capability of disarming a number of the sensor and collection systems on that craft?
8: Well, I think this goes to that national security side, and you can go back through history of things showing up at certain areas and disabling our capabilities, which is disheartening. And for us, I mean, like I said, it, it completely disabled the radar on the aircraft when it tried to do it, and the only way we could see it is passively, which is how he got that image. So I think that's a, that's a concern on what are these doing, not only how do they operate, but their capabilities inside to do things like this.
16: And and how should we think about four craft moving in a very clear formation, equidistant from one another, um, in a diamond, in all of the phenomenon perhaps, Mr. Grave, that you've analyzed, um, have we ever seen multiple craft in a a single formation? I
13: have one particular case, and that was uh, during the Gimbal incident. Um, The recording on the AT FLIR system shows a single object that rotates um, you hear the pilots refer to a a fleet of objects that is not visible on the FLIR system. And and that was something that I witnessed during the debrief as part of the radar data on the situational awareness page. I would like to add, however, Congressman, uh, there's a small small bit of Uh, anger, I would say, I would feel that those pilots are still uh, facing that difficulty in reporting this topic and they don't have the tools to be able to mitigate this issue. It just goes to show how serious this is and why this is such an important issue for our pilots and for our nation.
16: It was stated explicitly to me by these test pilots that if you have a UAP AP experience, the best thing you can do for your career is forget it and not tell anyone, because any type of reporting, either above the surface or below the surface, uh, does have a perceived consequence to these people, and that is a culture we must change if we want to get to the truth. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I, I would observe that perhaps as we, uh, as we move forward from this hearing, there are some obvious next steps. Every person watching this knows that we need to meet with Mr. Grush in a secure compartmentalized facility so that we can get fulsome answers that do not put him in jeopardy and that, and that give us the information we need. Second, I would suggest that the radar images from, um, that were collected of this formation of craft out of Eglin Air Force Base, and specifically the actual image taken by the actual flight crew that we can actually validate um, be provided to the committee, subpoenaed if necessary, um, so that we're able to track how to get this type of reporting and analysis done in a more fulsome way. That would be my recommendation.
0: As a guest, and humbly he's asking for this. Well, it, what we need to do is kind of just look at what's being said around the world now. I mean, Sky News even had to chime in on ufos hmm. I mean, but nobody wants to talk about antarctica
17: But in the u.s is claiming ufo sightings are a national security threat david grush told the house oversight committee he has proof of non-human life forms in ufo wreckage well despite the pentagon saying it's not true the former u.s air force intelligence officer has been backed by u.s navy personnel like retired commander david fravor
8: The controller told us that these objects uh, had been observed for over two weeks, coming down from over 80,000 feet, rapidly descending to 20,000 feet, hanging out for hours, and then going straight back up, for those who don't realise, above 80,000 feet is space.
17: Well, Let's get some reaction to this. Joining me now is former Ministry of Defence UFO researcher Nick Pope. A very good morning to you, Nick, and we might talk about some of those specifics in a moment. But first of all, tell us why these hearings are going on in the US now.
18: Well, there's been a a fundamental change in the way this subject has been viewed. It's come out of the fringe and into the mainstream. And there's been official recognition that this is a defense and national security issue. And that comes not not just from the, the security clearances they need to access some of the most highly classified, deeply compartmentalized programs that may exist on this subject and and that's, that's why Congress is continuing to dig in this and there will be further hearings.
17: Well yes, and how much at the end of it do you think that we'll know and understand about these UFOs or as they call them, they're the UAPs aren't they, unexplained anomalous phenomena?
18: Yes, they, they changed the language. We actually had a role in that in the MOD back in the 90s. But uh, I, I think people will get to find out some of this, but not all of it. Um, the most common thing that we heard yesterday in the entire hearing was, well, I can tell you that if if we go to the um, uh, secure room. So so not for the public hearing, I'm afraid. So the, part of this, for whatever reason, is, is top secret.
17: Well, yes, and people are always going to be fascinated by this stuff. And you too, presumably, because of all your work that you did do in the 90s for the Ministry of Defence, looking into UFOs. Tell us a little bit about that work and and what's done these days in this country.
18: Well, the MOD terminated their UFO programme at the end of 2009. I mean, when I was doing it, the job was simply to evaluate the uh, defence and national security implications.
0: Did anybody else notice that the guy's in Arizona and it's 1.44 a.m. while he's having this interview? I just wanted to point it out that this guy is in Arizona. You know, I've said this so many freaking times. I'm so tired of it. What's up with Arizona? Arizona, 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 Arizona. What's going on? Strange Arizona. It was one of the most fun times of my life, being in Arizona and training in Arizona and seeing things in Arizona. But Arizona, my God. going on there
18: and and say if there was a threat but you know people say that the U the uk should re-engage on this and the pentagon confirmed that they had convened a a panel on this with the five eyes now the five eyes is the intelligence sharing alliance that includes the uk the ministry of defense when they asked about this said we don't comment on intelligence matters well that might keep the media off their backs but what we now need is members of parliament and members of the house of lords to put the mod under some pressure and say what's going on because the brits are involved in all all this uh, and, and the defense select committee i think needs to take a proper look at this if the u.s as the dominant power in nato is is saying this is serious and it's a national security threat we should be saying the same
0: Especially, especially, especially when we have, you know, Epstein jets just, you know, bouncing from one place to another, like waving their hands, like, you know, where did it come from? Missouri, out of nowhere in Missouri by this big, you know, government contractor thing. And then beep, the jets in Antarctica. And you're like, wait a minute, what happened there? Nothing. It was just a glitch. Please pay no attention. We pay no attention. Look over here, you know, and no one wants to talk about Antarctica and what's really going on in Arizona, Antarctica, Arizona, Antarctica, non-biologicals, but they're not, not from here. So let's pop over to the center of the world, Arizona. Stop. It's not the center of the world. (laughs) Oh, but it is. Bought two Here's a Joe Rogan segment. Oh, that's Arizona. Oh,
19: okay. So we went to Yuma, Arizona. That's the lettuce capital of uh, Arizona. In case you're wondering, known for lettuce and dates mostly. Okay. On New Year's Eve, they drop lettuce, like a head of lettuce, like a ball. Anyways, that's a side. That's a side <laughs> story. But so we went to Yuma, Arizona, and on the way back, um, we're driving by. And there's like we're in the middle of the desert and we look and there's just like this staircase that goes to To nowhere and like i see it in the middle of the desert i see it and kim sees it and we're both like we get this really bad weird feeling and we're like we need to go back and like find out what that is so we turn this is a movie yeah well we thought it was a movie too we made we actually
20: we go back, and yeah. we, we go back, and we find this town. Sh- can you show the whole town Bro, from, like, a It's so called Felicity. Well.
21: How many drunks have died there?
20: Yeah. No, <laughs> <it> <laughs> is, <laughs> this is what this we see. This is what we went to. This is what we see in the middle of nowhere, and it's called The Center of the World. And uh, we it, did a tour. We did a tour, because we're like, well, this is a movie. We should film some shit,
17: what, because...
20: What? I was like let's go take a tour It's like an 8 mile city Called Felicity And only a population of 7 Or something like that And it's definitely A cult Yes But
19: he says Okay so he So in the steps we looked up Those stairs that go to nowhere are from the Eiffel Tower Yeah
21: There's, This is in Arizona? This yes. is in Arizona And this
19: really rich guy He's a uh, What is it? Baller He's a baller but what? He's a Rothschild A Rothschild he bought this town of felicity and named it after his wife
20: felicity
21: wait is this real Who we yes. think we ran into can we make sure that this is real oh,
20: well, we we visited like stuff it.
21: to
5: check out there this
21: is the yeah website this I'm is this the website like, is we saying were, that we this were physically
20: like a we were physically there, there. Conspiracy site. listen a we get there there's 22 there's 22 we made a, a scary movie trailer out of it I'll you i'll send it to jamie send it to jamie so we can
21: show we go. they we, offer tours of this place
20: oh we did a tour it was we did a tourifying. Why? They tried to get us into this cult. They put us in this pyramid. <laughs> <laughs> and they told made us, us to they, make a wish. They they, 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 what? they made us try to get. They tried to get us in the center of the pyramid, in the center of the thing. Put our foot in the middle, save this thing, and make a wish, and then sign a contract. And I was like, and we were like, I'm not doing that. And she was like, Well, it's the only part of the tour you have to do. And they go. To do the tour. And that's when we said we don't want to do the tour anymore, we're gonna leave. And she was pissed.
19: And then they said, she goes, This right here is the center, center of, of the, the world. world. <laughs> 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 no, do you have I'll find yeah, it, I'll find it, I'll find it. No,
21: Wait, it she's, was, you got her on video saying this?
20: Um, Dude, we have this lady covering, covering her, her
21: face. eyes. Yeah, don't put that up because that, that'll be a problem. What what? Like a video of her that she doesn't want up if she's covering her face. I mean, you can't see her face, but, but it's, it's like, it you a, turn an and she's in the corner of a gift shop, you. it's this
20: old lady. It has no. to be
21: Felicity herself. Oh my God.
20: They're all in weird clothes. So what clothes. do you think
21: is going on?
19: Okay, so basically.
21: So this is from your experience being there.
19: From our experience being there.
21: Were you know. sober at the time?
19: Yes. yes, yes. Why? Why were we sober? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're gonna go to the We were driving home from Arizona. Oh. Yeah, we had just.
21: You didn't know what you were gonna find. We just did a no, show, we yeah, were on our way home. We
19: were on our way right, home. Right, It was early in the morning. But once
21: you knew you had a tour.
19: Once we saw it and we're like, because the staircase, you can see it from so far away and then you see the pyramid and you're like, something is going on here. 20
20: cars in the parking lot,
21: no people. You guys are exactly what looking for yeah two oh young, cute girls <laughs> driving by yourself <laughs> with their big
20: sunglasses just
21: show up like god brought me here
20: <laughs> <laughs> it was a sign it was 222 yeah. and we had to i saw the off.
21: staircase and then when i climbed up and i saw the city i was like omg i'm home
19: <laughs> there's a post office there but there's only 10 people that live in in the town there's a oh. cop
20: that lives there who went there to investigate what was going on and then never and, left and never left wow and then he lives there now i'd like to watch center of the See world what
7: the fuck those people are up
21: dude to.
20: it was an eerie
21: energy it, like, well, maybe it's not maybe they're just playing golf and fucking listening to old records no <laughs> how do you
7: know because when you got
20: went there you know Really? yeah you have a sixth sense when it's a cult
19: you feel it in your body <laughs> we had to get the fuck out of there quickly Literally. after we got locked in the pyramid Joe i said hey it's time to go mama get in the car mommy and mama
20: are leaving
7: whoa <laughs> mommy and mama Sweetie, Jesus,
20: <laughs> <laughs> mommy and mama packed their blunts and they got out of <laughs> We call ourselves mama and mommy. What was the,
21: in, in the contract?
20: <laughs> it, it was just saying that we were there, we,
19: in that the we- the exact
20: time that we were at the center of the world.
21: And that you were agreeing that that was the center of the world? Yeah. yeah.
19: yeah.
21: So they're getting data on how many people agree? Look, we have and then they took our names.
19: they took our <laughs> names. Yeah, <laughs> and, then, and then we're like, can we film and she's like,
20: yeah, and, and then we can say nice things You're not gonna say anything bad. Are you <laughs> she like threatened us? And anyway,
19: it just
21: seems weird that no one has been there before and filmed it.
20: It might not exist No, as <laughs> you go back. And we it's go gone. back. It's gone. Yeah, it's just
21: there's dust. Look there. at it. The it,
20: chapel Oh, oh and ugh. it has this arm pointing to the temple. Yeah, it has this hand th- this arm. That, oh, it is so what do you think they're up to? Uh, just living
21: their own little life
20: you see it it points right to the center of the i
21: think the way they want to live up there
20: i think it's like a really rich guy well the guy has a crazy story
21: so that what is that his like family tree what will you just point to what is is this like oh they do this it's like the history
19: they have like it's called like the history of the of the world no it's the history of something and they have like Things that mattered to him, major events
20: in history, history of humanity.
19: Yeah, and the guy who came to do that on the granite, the guy came to do that from Europe on the granite, and he never, he never went back to his family afterwards. Yeah, that sounds
21: like a cool place. (laughs) (laughs) Look, the guys are selling it. That's him. Seems like everybody goes there That's doesn't Jacques, want to be He's
19: alive still. Jacques.
20: Yeah. Jacques, he used to he was the first inventor of the parachute or something like that. Oh yeah, he was a
21: parachuter. He was
6: a parachute in World War II. He was yeah. like, that fuck this, it. this
21: is perfect. I'm staying here.
19: He's he's a very complex man, a parachuter that bought, bought a pyramid and put the Eiffel Tower stairs <laughs> in the middle of the and he made himself mayor of the town that he founded.
21: Beautiful. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Shanksville. Welcome so to Shanksville. So he's got his own town. <laughs> There's eight people in it.
20: Yeah. It sounds like he's And me and Shank coming by.
21: <laughs> yeah, and then he oh tours. Oh my
20: God.
19: So yeah. do you think
21: they give tours to make new friends? Mm-hmm
19: yeah new friends yeah <laughs> they took a part of our new
21: energy and friends. soul
20: yeah. <laughs> we left with a migraine is what we're saying <laughs> something Some, was up they, yeah. but they
21: offered to tour, so anybody can go to this i and think draw so. your own conclusions who knows and maybe yes. they'll never leave just like all these other happy people <laughs> yeah <laughs> you guys maybe it is
7: <laughs>
21: it's just what a strange thing to do it was weird start a town in the middle of
20: the desert and say it's the center of the world
21: self-proclaimed center <laughs> oh, of the world well actually is before- that what they say Does it say <laughs> on their website that it's the center of the world oh yeah I'm trying to dig into I'm trying well, to find yeah. like the. W-
19: w- he also made okay so before he made the center of the world he wrote a children's book about yeah. a dragon called center of the world and then he said <laughs> and, oh and he did the children's book first because he said you know like when you make up a story you can create whatever you want and no one's gonna question it so he made like this whole Story about the center of the world. It was like a children's book, and then he went ahead and made the center of the world.
7: Hmm.
21: Or he's a prophet. Or he's, a, what oh, if he's he's right, and
20: it's and it is the center of
21: the world. What if he is the center of the world? Trust what, me. Like what if it's like it ain't, of, ain't
20: the center of the world. <laughs> <laughs> if, we went yeah, it's it. yuma
21: what if it's one of them buddha slash jesus characters that comes along and everybody questions him. And after a while, like oh my god he was the guy
19: yeah the it history is funny if, for
20: jesus to pick yuma. World. Yeah,
21: that's a good spot yeah
20: that's no a good one would spots,
19: know you know Kinda weddings imagine getting married at the center of the world no.
21: why wouldn't you you're the center of the universe
19: <laughs> to that's world. kind of romantic <laughs> yes. You're right It's
21: perfect place To get married I'm not
19: giving Jock There's the children's center. book
21: Come. Oh The good dragon At the center of the world So this dude is like Obsessed with hollow earth It's a real theory Do you know That See? they found more More water Under the ocean Under the that's earth's surface That's where they
20: wanted us to step
21: oh, that's On that the thing That is the very center Of the world But yeah. I know that It actually is No oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no 100% They checked And uh, that's it Even in the Tupperware can. happens
20: to be in Arizona.
21: (laughs) Even though the top is here and it's like there's poles, whatever. That's the center. That's the the center. Everywhere you are is a center of the fucking unit. It's a globe, you fucking dipshits. I guess you're right. Not really. It's It's not like a total globe, right? It's a spheroid. Well, that was
20: his whole point, was that anywhere could be, so he was picking the spot.
21: Yeah, suck it. (laughs) you're like this is actually you you don't get to pick scientists have to pick if if they do decide what the center is it's going to be a a lot of very fucking smart people with like some serious equipment and it's going to take a long time they're going to have to sort it through not a rich parachuter it's the center is in the lava you fuckhead i believe you you gotta go to the center it's you're on the surface like saying you're on the the edge of the world it it literally can't be the center of the world no you're on the corner of the world world world. inside the hole but maybe they're right about it being like the spot
20: maybe they're right if it's flat you never know (laughs) if it's flat there's a center
22: in today's video we travel to the southeasternmost part of california to visit the town of Felicity and the official center of the world. Felicity is right off of Interstate 8 and is about 8 miles west of Yuma, Arizona. You can't miss it from the freeway but there are still plenty of signs that lead you there. When you reach the property you enter via a driveway adorned with flags from around the world. When you get there one of the first things you'll notice, and this is easily visible from Interstate 8 as well, is this stairway that leads to nowhere. The stairway was originally part of the Eiffel Tower in Paris. It was removed from the Eiffel Tower in the 80s when repairs were done to the structure, and Jacques Estelle, who owns and operates the Center of the World, purchased it at an auction. It's always amazing what unexpected things you'll find when driving around. At the Center of the World, you will also find a museum and gift shop where you pay your entrance fee, which was $3 as of December 2020. And the gift shop even has a post office. Out in front of the museum, there is a sundial that was actually incredibly accurate, though it is on mountain time. The arm of the sundial is modeled after Michelangelo's Hand of God from the Sistine Chapel. And it points directly to a pyramid, which is where the official center of the world is located at. Jacques Estelle, who founded the center of the world, wrote a children's book in 1985 titled Co the good dragon and the center of the world in the book this is where the center of the world is located at and so in 1986 he founded the town here later imperial county where felicity is located recognized it as the center of the world as did the nation of france in 1989 also when you stand on the center of the earth you face the church on the hill and you get to make a wish and they give you a certificate saying that you visited the center of the world past the center of the world is by far the most impressive thing at the site. The Museum of History in Granite. The Museum of History in Granite is huge and it includes 18 granite monuments that are very detailed in the history it presents. One could easily spend days here trying to read everything that is engraved in granite. Just for an example, here is the history of California and the history of Arizona. Walking down the California side you can just get an idea of how much information is just engraved in granite here with everything being written by Jacques Estelle himself I should also take a minute to talk about mr. Estelle himself because he has lived an amazing life I wouldn't be surprised if there is a movie written about him one day Jacques Estelle was born in 29 in Paris France
3: I sold my company, we had bought some land after the Korean War. And I said to my wife, well, we're going to go sit in the desert and think of something to do. Museum of History and Granite started simply because I wanted to remember my parents and their friends and our friends. I thought it would be nice to have a serious monument sitting in the desert. I find my research. The answer is that there are wonderful instruments called books. (laughs) As you can see, here we are discussing settling Arizona, land grants, Indian presence, Indian wars. Now we come to the history of the US. That was not easy. Early conflicts, westward. Prelude to revolution, the revolution, independence, first president, slavery in America, going from runaway slaves to a president, that is one of the wonderful things about America. Americans keep trying to improve the American
1: experiment. Whoever covers this place in 10,000 years, they'll go,
21: oh,
3: yeah, okay, I get it. I'm always asked the question of how I feel about it. Obviously, there's a certain pleasure in viewing the monuments where we have not made too many mistakes. But all I can think of are the empty panels and the workahead.
0: Sounds legit. So is it Felicity, California, or Yuma? We don't know. It's all of them, right? (laughs) All of them. But here is a whistleblower talking about non-human biologics. And this is where thinking hats need to go. So we had a barrage of experiments happen in the past century from 1900 to 1999, and they're still ongoing. Now, these experiments uh, were conducted on the U.S. population and the global population. We are all uh, realizing it. But there were also other experiments, experiments such as You know, making people more bioelectric, um, uh, allowing for integrating technology, uh, bringing them back to the basics of silicone-based. I mean, there are a bunch. But, you know, the technology you see, they may be non-human biologics, but would you be able to tell the difference? See, think of it this way. There could be something like androids, right? You in movies have seen androids that look human, right? Obviously, they make this whole AI speaking funny, right? It's a trend on TikTok now where people make money by responding as an AI. I will respond as you say things and I will keep a blank face. You know, the tone, know that tone very well. Understand the tone very well in the way, you know, people speak. And how they respond. Uh, You know, Antarctica is going to come into the focus very soon, and I think it's going to be pretty much a blast, but I I believe that we need to push that a little bit faster. Here's the whistleblower testimony.
15: Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and good morning to our witnesses who are testifying today. I want to thank each of you for being here to discuss a topic of grave importance to our national security. Earlier this year, a Chinese spy balloon was shot down off the coast of my home state of South Carolina. Since the Roswell incident in 1947, Many Americans have wondered about the dangers of unknown objects crisscrossing our skies, whether these are UAPs or weather phenomena, advanced technology from American allied or enemy forces, or something more out of this world. So, my first question I have several questions, and I'll, I, if we can just be quick on these first two, I'm going to ask each of you the same question, um, and then I'll get to each of you individually. Uh, the first one, when you reported your experiences with a UAP, did any of you face any repercussions with your superiors, yes or no?
23: No. No. I've actually never seen anything personally, believe it or not. So.
15: <laughs> All right. Um, and then do, do you believe there's an active disinformation campaign within our government to deny existence of UAPs, yes or no?
13: I don't have an answer to that.
23: Previous, previously stated publicly, yes.
8: Like previously with like Project Blue Book, yes, but currently I don't speak for the United States government.
15: Okay. Thank you. Um, I have a few questions for Mr. Graves. Um, what percentage of UAP sightings, in your belief, go unreported by our pilots?
13: This is an approximation based off of my personal experience speaking with a number of pilots, but I would estimate we're somewhere near 5% reporting perhaps.
15: So like 95% basically don't report seeing UAPs. That's
13: just my personal estimate.
15: Um, in the incident off Virginia Beach, do you believe the Navy took the danger to your aircraft seriously after it was reported? Absolutely. Um, a few questions for Mr. Favor. As an expert naval aviator, have you ever seen an object that looked and moved like the Tic-Tac UAP? No. Did the Tic-Tac UAP move in such a way that defied the laws of physics?
8: The way we understand them, yes.
15: Many dismiss UAP reports as classified weapons testing by our own government, but in your experience as a pilot, does our government typically test advanced weapons systems right next to multi-million dollar jets without informing our pilots?
8: No, we have test ranges for that.
15: It took over 15 years for your encounter with the Tic Tac to be declassified. Do you feel there was a good reason to prevent lawmakers from having access to this footage?
8: No, I just think it was ignored when it happened, and it just sat somewhere in a file. Never got reported.
15: In a drawer. It happens a lot up here. (laughs) Shocker. Um, Mr. Gresh, uh, a couple of questions for you, too, sir, this morning. Um, What percentage of UAPs do you feel are adequately investigated by the U.S. government? Of the 5% that are reported. (laughs)
23: Um, I can only speak for uh, my personal leadership over at NGA. I tried to look at every report that came through that I mm -hmm. could triage, so...
15: Do you believe that officials at the highest levels of our national security apparatus have unlawfully withheld information from Congress and subverted uh, our oversight authority?
23: There are certain elected leaders that had more information that I'm not sure what they've shared with certain gang of eight members or et cetera, but uh, certainly uh, I would not be surprised.
15: Okay. You've stated that the government is in possession of potentially non-human spacecraft. Based on your experience and extensive conversations with experts do you believe our government has made contact with intelligent extraterrestrials?
23: Something I can't discuss in public setting.
15: Um, okay, I can't ask when you think this occurred. <laughs> um, if you believe we have crashed craft uh, stated earlier do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this craft? Um, Okay, so, and and you may or may not be able to answer my last question, and maybe we get into a skiff at the next hearing that we have, but who in the government, either what agency, sub-agency, what contractors? who should be called into the next hearing about UAPs, either in a public setting or even in a private setting? And you probably can't name names, but what agencies or organizations, contractors, et cetera, do we need to call in to get these questions answered, whether it's about funding, what programs are happening and what's out there?
23: I can give you a specific cooperative and hostile witness list of specific individuals uh, that were in those, uh, that's you after the hearing.
15: Super, thank you, and I yield back.
0: How do we go? Where do we go with all this circus information? You have to think about what he said. And then you have to think about why they're bringing this out now. You know how when they did the whole vaccine thing, I was like, hey, they shouldn't be messing with molecular software if they don't understand it, because then shit may happen that you don't expect. Well, let's talk a little bit like an AI. In response to the public curiosity and political pressure federal and military agencies have released. Well, I can't do that. See, Grush, who testified, said a lot of things that a lot of people have been thinking about. Project Bluebeam, uh, talking about non-human biologics. He also made mention, in a quote, When he was asked, so they come from outer space, he said, well, not necessarily. Their origin cannot be deemed to be not of this earth. That was key. And then you have to think to yourself if they've conducted such experiments in this scenario where the government was involved in creating superhumans or non human biologics, hybrids, whatever, right? That's also playing with fire because. You don't know what they're capable of, so you don't fuck with them. And if you do, you push boundaries to see just how far they can go. And the reason you would do that is public reaction. If the existence of such things become public knowledge, then the government might fear a potential societal backlash, panic, or demands for transparency and accountability, right? Don't look at Antarctica at all not like we have one of the biggest signal inducers and communicators for a very long time. Who do you call home. There are ethical implications. The government may be very concerned with ethical implications such as potential violations of human rights or bioethical standards, you know, with all those experiments and stuff. And there could be the fear by the people in other nations about the misuse of such non-human biologics that may be able to walk among many others that um, could be hostile entities to the own government that created them and external forces. And, you know, some of these experimented on humans or created whatever you want to call them may indeed be more powerful and intelligent, yet crave to be simple. And the government may fear controlling them, but one thing is key. Unpredictability. That is something that science has proven time and time again. That just because you knock out a gene, just because you can create something with an interface, just because it may seem kind or controllable, well, there are characteristics that are unknown. And there is genetic crosstalk. And, you know, that could be a potential threat to the government itself. Now, think of it this way. Because the people are supposedly curious and there's pressure, they're talking about aircraft encounters, almost feels like the fourth and elected branch of government needs to blame someone for their actions. And maybe they'll throw under the bus, you know, the Fauci's and the atrocious monsters, maybe, and blame it on them in some weird, you know, society of I don't know people that are upgraded, I guess. So Susan Gao, a spokeswoman for the Defense Department, stated that the Pentagon's investigations have not uncovered any credible evidence to support the claims of programs. Related to possession or reverse engineering of extraterrestrial materials, either in the past, the present, or the future. And the APs told you that, so you should believe it. That's why you're not allowed to go to Antarctica. Shh. But Grosh claimed that the US has recovered non human biological material from the pilots of these alleged crafts and stated that, you know, there are hostiles that will not speak. And the assessment of people with direct knowledge talk you know, when they're talking about this, um, there are people still in that program. And I have kind of said this already. If all of this was bullshit, then how did some of us train at the other languages division of the intelligence community? See, Grish himself has not seen himself any alien vehicles or alien bodies. And that's only based on testimony of 40 witnesses that he interviewed over his four-year tenure with the task force. So maybe that kind of helps on the, you know, could you imagine if there were like people that could tap into totally the matrix and change the scripts as they go while struggling? I mean, you, you know, it's becoming a big, of, big show and it almost feels like they're looking for a scapegoat. I want you to listen to his testimony on News Nation.
24: A military whistleblower, UFO wreckage recovered by the U.S., kept classified by a secret government program for decades. Tonight, a world television exclusive you will only see on News Nation. Welcome to Elizabeth Vargas Reports, earning your trust. UFOs exist. The U.S. government found quite a number of them, and they are indeed of non-human origin. Those are the explosive allegations from a former intelligence officer tonight in a whistleblower complaint that the inspector general is taking very seriously. 36-year-old Air Force veteran David Grush is exposing what he calls a top-secret military program, that has reportedly found wreckage of fully intact UFOs. The government now calls them UAPs, or Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena. For years, there have been whispers and rumors that the government had aircraft of non-human origin. This report is the first evidence it might be true. The Inspector General has called Grush's complaint urgent and credible. Tonight, we have a World Television exclusive interview with the whistleblower In which he claims we not only have the aircraft, but the government has been keeping much of it secret from Congress and from the public. News Nation senior national correspondent Brian Anton is here with the story, and this is a blockbuster.
9: It is a blockbuster. It's really hard to wrap your mind around this. I've been working on this for the past couple of weeks. I'm still having a hard time processing right. uh, processing all of it. All, over the last couple of years, it sort of became mainstream to discuss UFOs. The government has released videos. They've acknowledged that we don't know what some of this stuff is out there that we have on camera, but this really takes it all to another level. For the very first time, the world is about to hear from a former high high-level U.S. intelligence officer who says the government has some of the unidentified craft in its possession. He is revealing these exclusive details about the secret government program.
22: we are going against the wind. The wind's 120 miles the west. Oh my gosh, yeah. dude. Wow.
9: We have all seen these blurry videos of unidentified flying objects. Video evidence, if you will, that old tales of UFOs may not all be conspiracy theories. In recent years, Congress starting an official U.S. government Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, recently renamed the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, or Aero. And now in a News Nation exclusive, David Grush, an Air Force veteran, former member of that task force, and veteran of the National Geo a spatial intelligence agency is formally blowing the whistle on secrets he says no one has ever shared publicly before
12: you are one of the most trusted former intelligence officials in the u.s defense and intelligence establishment yes i was you were trusted with the most intimate secrets yes
9: Grush sitting down with award-winning investigative journalist Ross Coulthardt, who's reporting for News Nation and has spent years reporting on the UFO question.
12: What conclusion did you come to at the end of your time on the UAP task force? Uh, the UAP task force was
23: refused access to um, a broad crash retrieval program. When you say crash retrieval, what do you mean? Uh, These are retrieving non-human origin uh, technical vehicles, you know, call it spacecraft, if you will. Non-human, exotic origin vehicles that have either landed or crashed.
12: We have spacecraft from another species.
23: We do, yeah. How many? Quite a number. You're kidding. No. I thought it was totally nuts, and I thought at first I was being deceived. It was a ruse. People started confiding in me. They approached me. I have... Plenty of current former senior intelligence officers that came to me, many of which I knew almost my whole career, that confided to me they were a part of a program. They named the program. I've never heard of it. And they, they told me, based on their oral testimony, um, and they provided me documents and other, other proof, that there was, in fact, a program that the UAP
9: task force was uh, not read into. Grush alleges the U.S. government has recovered non human craft for decades. He's filed a whistleblower complaint, saying he gave what he calls the classified proof to Congress and the Intelligence Community Inspector General. NewsNation has confirmed David Grush's credentials and resume. We've not seen or verified the alleged proof he says he's provided to investigators. He says he can't show us the proof for national security reasons. He also tells us he's not seen photos of the alleged craft himself, but has talked extensively with other intelligence officials who have. If
12: you're right. If you're telling us the truth, Mm -hmm. everyone, the entire American public, has been lied to for decades. Yeah,
23: there's a sophisticated uh, disinformation campaign targeting the US populace, which
12: is extremely unethical and immoral. You are saying to the human race, for the first time, an official intelligence representative at a high level from the US government is saying publicly we are not alone. We're definitely not alone. Absolutely, the data
23: points empirically that we're not alone, yeah.
12: Do we have bodies? Do we have species of Well,
23: well naturally, um, when you recover something that's either landed or crashed, um, sometimes you encounter um, dead pilots. And
25: uh, believe it or not, as, fan- as fantastical as that sounds, it's true. It's also harder for people to wrap their minds around the concept of a crashed object from somewhere else, it's easier to accept that, yeah, we see things in the sky that we can't explain.
9: Journalist Leslie Kane broke Rush's whistleblower story this morning in the debrief. Miss Kane's career has been mainstream and credible, having written a series of reports on UFOs in the New York Times dating back to 2017. He has the credentials, but there's no documents that he's handed over, there's no pictures. As a journalist, you want to see documents, you want to see pictures. Does that raise a red flag?
25: Not at all, Brian. I mean, you mean documents that actually describe the craft? Correct, yeah, like like government
9: documents, or to to be able to see it for ourselves.
25: Of course, don't we all want that? And uh, the problem with that is all of that information is classified. You know, as we said in the story, everything that Grush told Congress and told the the, um, Inspector General of both the IC, the Intelligence Community Inspector General, and the Department of Defense Inspector General, all of that information is classified.
9: In 2017, Kane reported exclusively in the New York Times that the Pentagon had a secret UFO program. Three years later, the Pentagon confirmed her story. Her latest report is even more explosive, but Kane says she has multiple sources who back up Grush's story.
25: I believe it because of all the sources I have who have told me the same thing. So who am I to doubt these very, very high-level people who have been inside these programs for decades? have done their work and are all telling me the same thing. I mean, I I don't think there's some kind of conspiracy among all these people who don't know each other to make something like this up.
12: So I've got to be blunt about this. You're not making this up. This is not a lie.
23: No, absolutely not.
12: Because everybody watching this right now is looking at your face.
23: Mm
12: -hmm. They're going, is this guy for real?
23: I am for real. And I'm, I'm sitting here at great personal risk and obvious professional risk by talking to you today
9: and just within the last 10 minutes or so the pentagon has released a statement to news nation about this report they say to date Aero has not discovered any verifiable information to substantiate claims that any programs regarding the possession or reverse engineering of extraterrestrial materials have existed in the past or exist currently Aero is committed to following the data and its investigation wherever it leads. Aero, working with the Office of the General Counsel and the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, has established a safe and secure process for individuals to come forward with information to aid Aero in its congressionally mandated historical review. Aero's historical review of records and testimonies is ongoing and due to Congress by June 2024, and Aero welcomes the opportunity to speak with a former or current employee uh, or contractor who believes they have information relevant uh, to this historical review. And Elizabeth, we know that David he's filed that whistleblower complaint. He's, he's been on the record, under oath, uh, testifying to many of these things that he said in our report tonight.
24: Right, and it's important to point out that this statement from the Pentagon from Arrow Gresh is alleging that this top secret, top, top secret, secret program is keeping it a secret from Arrow.
9: <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. And if Gresh is, if what he's saying is true, uh, you know, the spokespeople, all of those folks at that level wouldn't even know wouldn't this even was know going on anyway.
24: All right, I, I got to ask you, I, I, you know, he has a compelling story to tell. Very little of it seems like firsthand knowledge. Isn't he just repeating what somebody else has told him or somebody else has showed him?
9: Yes. That is what he's doing. But he says he's talked to a number of people who are in very, very high level positions. He also had basically the highest level of uh, classified material information that he was able to receive. Uh, we went back and checked over um, you know, his history, all of his credentials, he check out. out, check out completely. Uh, unfortunately, there's In really- addition,
24: a couple people have come forward publicly to vouch for him, people who are high ranking.
9: They have, they have. And uh, this article first came out this morning and I think it's interesting that you know there hasn't been any sort of effort to to discredit what he has said uh, either from the de- Defense Department.
24: So interesting. So what happens, you know, and have we had any reaction, by the way, from members of Congress?
0: Ah, uh, so what was the announcement that the Pentagon said? We do not have extra terrestrial. Now, think about it. Let's pretend, let's pretend that, you know, whatever history we've been fed is a little bit fake and You know, we've been in the age of information before, you know, toppled it. I mean, they used to have toilets back in the day, right? And let's pretend, you know, you find people washed up, you know, because remember how we did that whole thing in Africa where I walk you through how there were people living in Antarctica in the 1400s and they discovered them and how, you know, suddenly that changed a little bit and, you know, uh, the story went a little bit and you know, everything's changing. Well, let's pretend that they found people that have been around for a long time there. You know, it's kind of like if we feed into the theories of the earth not being the way it's supposed to be, let's just imagine that the Pacific coasts are all aligned. So you've got the Pacific coast of the U.S. aligned with the Pacific coast of China and Japan. That would kind of make sense on the expansion on how they accidentally discovered 7,000 islands, not seven, but 7,000 suddenly. It's almost like how they discovered Australia after New Zealand, but then there was like, oh yeah, that was because of Earth movement. Get the fuck out of here in 400 years that uh, Australia would move. See, you can catch them when they're lying and just think about it. Let's just pretend that they... It's not extraterrestrial. And so that's true. And like he said, I don't, I can't say that they're not from this earth, even though they're not biologically human. And so let's just think, right, that that has happened, right, that, that, that the non-human biologics are from here and that the government had a hold on it. I mean, you know, look at all, not allowed to go to this part, but you could go to that part. No, we have tech, but we really don't. And we're really upset with Russia, too. And so, you know, we get to the point where we're just like, okay, why, what is the purpose of this happening? And the purpose of this happening is maybe they created X-Men and the X-Men are fucking shit up right now and they're very not happy with the whole situation. And so what better way than to create an even bigger enemy to unite everyone is the X-Men they made that are fucking shit up you know, and come out with these theories. I'm pretty sure we're going to see a trend on TikTok how, you know, Trump is not of this world and other people are not of this world. And it's like, maybe they are from this world. Maybe they're just exaggerating it because, you know, when you mess with things that you don't know, it's kind of unpredictable. And then you just can't kill them because you don't know how that works. And then it's a big problem. And, you know, and AI gives us some really good, you know, Resurrections. Here's Michael Jackson as an AI. Closing off today's show. Food for thought. Let's go. Let
2: me see what you can do.
7: I don't
5: think they're ready for
7: this one. Uh-huh. would a grip back grip, everybody goes to just like a circus Don't stand there watching me, follow me, show me what you can do